All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tacovas want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tacovas is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to tacovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y dot com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. You got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. You got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight, camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient, it's safe, it's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard. Isn't it wonderful that we live in a country that we can celebrate Maroon Friday however we choose? And I know we don't make the big deal about it that we used to. I get it. I still think it's a pretty cool thing, especially during football and baseball season, that we uh, rep the brand whenever possible. 
I know we used to give shirts away and all that kind of stuff. The administration used to do this sort of stuff. We don't do that anymore, but it's still great to celebrate Maroon Friday. Hope it's a payday for you. Hope that you're able to get out and do some things this weekend. Not a lot going on as far as entertainment. There is the NFL draft. We'll get a little bit into that today. Not going to spend a lot of time on that, but we'll talk about some cool things as far as the SEC goes. Get into some women's basketball stuff. A lot of stuff to talk about, for sure. There always is. Even without games to play, there are things to talk about that are germane to the conversation as it relates to Mississippi State sports. I would be remiss if we didn't open the show offering the most heartfelt condolences, thoughts, and prayers for Doug Prescott and the Prescott family. It was learned last night that Jace Prescott passed away at the young age of 31 years of age. I, I don't know all the details, and I'm not going to speculate. And there's a lot of people out there to think, oh, you know, I'd like to know what all happened. You know, a lot of it's not our business. But the bottom line is, is that a family that is very close to the Mississippi State family, an extension of the Mississippi State family, that uh, we have spent a lot of time supporting and praying with and for throughout the years when Miss Peggy Prescott was ill with colon cancer. We all spent a lot of time investing in that family. And then to watch Dax meteoric rise in the National Football League, you know, we felt like, okay, things are kind of picking up for the Prescott family. And then this, this happens. And so, uh, again, very, very sorry for the loss to both Dak and to, and to Thad. And, and uh, you know, those brothers were, uh, were especially close. And uh, it's one of those things when you begin to look at all of this and you begin to, to realize that um, no matter what goes on, no matter what successes you have in life, that life still happens to all of us. And so, you know, Dak, we're sorry. And for all you Bulldog fans out there that are connected to the Prescott family, we, we are very, very, very sorry. And uh, we feel your loss with you and uh, wish the absolute best for all of you. I want to thank our good friends, Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show, you should have been a longtime patron of Bulldog Burger Company. Many of you are. I think we're probably going to do Bulldog Burger Company at least once this weekend. Sometimes that's just a good weekend meal. Mom's worked all week. Maybe she needs a little time off from being, uh, you know, the leader of the household, the homeschooler, in addition to working from home. Let's let mom get some Bulldog Burger Company, guys. You can get the family feast right now. It's a great special. You get four Bulldog burgers. That's the signature burger to Bulldog. Four Bulldogs, four orders of fries, and a gallon of sweet tea for $29.95. Man, it, it feels like they're giving it away. And mom, it, more times than not, if you've got small kids, that turns into dinner and lunch for the kids. Very, very healthy portions from the fine folks at Bulldog Burger Company. Great restaurant quality hamburger if there ever was one. Two locations to serve you on University Drive right here in Starkville on Gloucester Street in Tupelo, Mississippi. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. So big night last night uh, in the NFL draft for a lot of players. No Mississippi State players taken in the first round. None were any, no, no were any suspected to go, if I can ever get that out. There were none were projected to go in the first round. And so we expect the possibility of a couple guys to go today. Uh, we've Cam Dancer, Willie Gay, good chance they go uh, you know, today. And then, of course, we should have a pretty busy day tomorrow. I, I, again, I think it's probably you know four or five guys to get drafted. Then there's some undrafted free agents. I think Brian Cole and Stephen Guidry will likely be undrafted free agents 
feel pretty good about a couple more guys. You know, Cam Dantzler, Will, Willie Gay, you feel good about those guys. Tyree Phillips, Daryl Williams, Chauncey Rivers. Kind of see how things go from there. But, uh, you know, it wasn't a great senior class as far as NFL prospects. And so, again, not expected to have any guys in the first round. We were not surprised. Real quickly, though, I think it is important that the SEC continues to dominate the first round. The SEC broke their own previous record of 13 first-rounders from the SEC. Yesterday, the SEC gets 15 first-round draft picks. To put that in perspective, the Big 12, the Big 10, the Pac-12, and the ACC had 16 first-rounders combined, and the SEC had 15 alone. So you would take the other, you know, the Power Five, and you begin to put those things together. And the SEC had just about as many as the entire other Power Five conferences combined. That is uh, absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. So let's run down that real quick here just because I think you guys uh, need to know. First rounder, in case you missed it, here's the first round picks. We won't spend a lot of time on this, but I think it's important to kind of appreciate the historic First round for the SEC. The first round pick, first pick of the draft, Joe Burrow from LSU to the Bengals. No surprise there. Uh, offensive lineman Andre, 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 Andrew Thomas. My goodness, I can't talk today. Andrew Thomas from Georgia to the New York Giants. At number five, it's Tua Tagovailoa from Alabama to the Dolphins. A lot of people projected him to go there. And uh, probably a good fit there for him. Number one, you know they've got a new staff there. They're... they're kind of moving things back in order. And uh, you know, they had to go out and get a guy that's going to sell some tickets. I think Tua does it. I think Tua, I know it's a risk because of the hip, the hip the hip injury, and he has been banged up much of his career. But Miami needs some juice, man. They have struggled for many, many years. Brandon Walker, Joel Coleman, friends of mine, both Dolphins fans, they generally just take the NFL season off. Derek Brown from Auburn. Uh, Derek's Parents met on the Mississippi State campus and got married and moved to Georgia. And Derek ends up going to Auburn. First-round draft pick, defensive tackle of the Carolina Panthers. C.J. Henderson from Florida checks in at number nine with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I'll be honest with you, I don't, I don't understand taking corners in the top ten, especially when you look – a friend of mine were talking about this yesterday. You look at the Eagles – Eagles go out and take a big pick, take a corner in the first round. Or pardon me, the Lions. The Lions go out and take, I guess, number three. And so you wouldn't pay Darius Slay the money that he deserves. So you traded him, and then you go get you a first rounder, a guy in the top five. You're gonna, so it's like you're going to pay a fortune for that too. So you're always chasing your tail. It's like it was too expensive to pay Slay. So – Let's go ahead and waste a number three pick. There are other people in this draft looking for a quarterback. Why not draft down and take a guy like C.J. Henderson? I mean, I guess where there were four corners taken, top 16 picks in a draft. You couldn't trade out, maximize your picks out. You know, I don't know. I don't know all the moving parts to it. I just don't know about taking a corner that early. And C.J. Henderson, a guy at number nine, I mean, you know, I think that's why the Jaguars and, and those teams are who they are. Jaguars had a ton of picks. To utilize, maybe they felt safe going all in on C.J. Henderson. 
Number 10 pick is Jedrick Willis, offensive lineman from Alabama. Man, it seems like Alabama has a tackle in the first round every single year to the Browns this year. Henry Ruggs, the first Alabama or LSU receiver taken in the draft to the Raiders. Henry Ruggs, an explosive player, uh, big fan of that robe. You know, he almost looked a little bit uh, like Hugh Hefner. Number 14, former Jones County Junior College prospect, the guy that Mississippi State recruited a little bit, defensive tackle, went to South Carolina, headed to Frisco now. He'll cross the country. Good play. And then that defensive front for the 49ers is pretty salty already. And then you add a guy like uh, Javon Kenlo to it. I, mean, I think you can feel pretty good about life. Jerry Judy, number 15 from the from the Alabama Crimson Tide to the Denver Broncos. A little surprised that uh, he went before CeeDee Lamb. CeeDee Lamb goes to the, to the Cowboys. I know a lot of people that are rooting for the Cowboys excited about that. I am too. Very productive guy. A kid from Louisiana, oddly enough. CeeDee Lamb is from Opelousas, Louisiana. About an hour away from Baton Rouge on 190, just north of uh, Lafayette, Louisiana, on I-49. You're kind of the, uh, the you know, the backwoods part of Cajun country, if you know what I'm saying. You're not quite as familiar with that part of it, but uh, Opelousa is a good place. But, you know, it just goes to show you, too, the state of Louisiana birthed a lot of big-time receivers in the last few years uh, on the college level. And uh, CLM, one of them. Number 20, speaking of uh, LSU and Louisiana kids, uh, Clavon Chason to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And, again, that's two first-round picks in the top 20 for the Jags. they got to get better on defense. They spend both of those picks on the defensive side of the football. Chason's one of those guys, too, that I, I thought he was a little bit of a gamble as the first-rounder, but uh, ends up being one of the first linebackers taken. Justin Jefferson from LSU, number 22 to the Vikings. And, again, this, this goes back again. You know, Minnesota didn't want to pay to keep high-priced free agents at receiver with digs, and so then they go out and get a guy first round, their first spinner first round pick on a guy. So it's like you're all you're constantly chasing your tail with this. It, you know, and I understand it was well, a younger guy, but he's unproven. I don't know. Maybe that's why you and I aren't NFL general managers. I just I don't get it. Patrick Queen, really, I've always liked Patrick Queen. He is one of those very productive, very physical linebackers that always seems to play well in space. I hate that he's going to the AFC North and to the, the stupid Baltimore Ravens. Got to deal with that guy now. I'm a Steelers fan. But uh, Patrick Queen, guy Mississippi State, got on early. Once It was one typical Louisiana story. LSU kind of slow plays the kid a little bit. State, others get involved. We start feeling good about life, and then LSU gets serious, and it's over. And, and, and listen, I credit LSU for closing their borders. When it's time to kind of close the ranks and get things done on the recruiting trail on the football side, they get it done. Isaiah Wilson, offensive lineman from the University of Georgia, the second Georgia Bulldog offensive lineman taking the first round, goes to the Tennessee Titans at number 29. Number 30, Noah, and I'm, I'm going to say this wrong, and I apologize. Um, Noah Igabinani from Auburn, cornerback, dad, uh, former track star Mississippi State. That was news to some people last night. It's not news. Um, but, you know, he was a guy, kind of an undersized corner at Auburn, but, man, great foot speed, great leaping ability, kind of plays bigger than he measures. A little surprised he went in the first round, but he does. 
Big pick there for Auburn. That Auburn defense was pretty salty last year, as you guys know. It's going to be interesting to see what they do this year. Lose a lot, especially up front. And number 32, my favorite pick in the draft, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I have known Clyde since he was in the sixth grade. Went to school with my oldest daughter in Baton Rouge. And uh, we had a feeling he was going to be pretty special, even then when they got into middle school ball, because he just kind of played above everybody else. Even though he didn't have great size, he still doesn't have great size. A little surprised he went before Swift, but Andy Reid will know how to use him. And what a great situation for Clyde to go in there, the Super Bowl champs, with an established program. You're not looking to rebuild, and you don't have to get thrown to the wolves early. They've invested in the offensive line. They've got a tremendous offense, Patrick Mahomes. So they'll know how to utilize uh, Edwards Alaire. He he is a pretty good receiver out of the backfield. You know, the main thing with him is what's he going to do on obvious passing downs when he is not out in a pass pattern. He's got to step up and take on a blitzing linebacker and pass pro. That's the thing that I kind of wonder about. But uh, very very happy for Clyde and his mom. Uh, just a bit, just a great tandem. I mean, really really great family. Um, and Clyde's a special kid. You know, if he stays healthy, I suspect he'll hang around for a while. I think he will be a good value pick for the Chiefs. But I, I was very, very happy to see it, but a little bit surprised. I really thought Swift would go before Clyde. You know, Clyde's a guy that comes out early, and a lot of people thought, uh, you know, he's probably, you know, mid-round pick. And then as the, the NFL feedback began to come back, I think people thought, you know, what, he's got a fighting chance to be one of the first running backs taken. But, again, a little surprised he goes before Swift. But uh, that's your first round. Again, we expect to see Mississippi State uh, have some action today and tomorrow. Now, of course, you know, State was kind of the big story last year in the SEC with three first-round draft picks all on the defensive side of the football. Of course, Montez Sweat, Jeff Simmons, Jonathan Abram. So it's a different graduating class for Mississippi State. We didn't accomplish quite as much defensively this year, too. And it's one of the things, too, when I begin to look at if I'm being objective – about Cam Dancer. I don't know that Cam played to his full potential this year. I, I just don't believe it. I, I think, number one, I think that the neck injury slowed him down some. And I, I think at times he probably played to protect himself a little bit. And I think I think he probably knew much of the year that, uh, that he wasn't going to be back. And we expected him to come out this year. Uh, Could have gone out last year. But elected to come back and wanted to chase the Thorpe and then gets injured early and and there were some times this year I, I just I think he probably kind of played with the draft in mind. I'm not being critical. I'm just telling you my honest opinion. Bruno down the stretch, he came in there and did what he needed to do and help State, uh, especially in that Egg Bowl, get a win. He, he absolutely played his tail off against LSU. If you've seen the, the cut-ups of that State-LSU game, as great as those LSU receivers were, they, they couldn't do much against Cam Dantzler. And so you got to know that every NFL front office has seen that film. If you want to evaluate Cam Dantzler, what did he do against Alabama? What did he do against LSU? You know, those were probably the two best wide receiving tandems in the country, certainly in the SEC. And Cam actually played pretty well against them. And so it's always so interesting, too, when I see people that put the smoke out. It's just like last year. You know, there was the rumor the day of the draft that Montez Sweat was dropping on some boards because of some undiagnosed heart murmur. Do you really think that was fresh news? That's just smoke that people put out hoping he'll drop in the draft to them. The reality of that is is that the uh, the heart murmur or situation had been diagnosed long ago. Mississippi State people were aware of it. 
and he played with it throughout his two years here. It was never an issue. So it was really not the issue that some in the media made it to be, but that's what happens on the draft. You have things that kind of get leaked out, and some of those times it's from opportunistic teams that are somewhat predatory trying to put some smoke out there in hopes that teams will pass on a kid and he'll drop in the draft and they get an opportunity to take him. And then if you can't trade up to get him, maybe some people can run a bit of a con game uh, to, to maybe get some teams to pass on him. And I think some of that's going on with Cam Dancer. And what, what I mean by that is, is I have seen some, it's all incredible that I see all these people at the big, when he first enters the draft, people are thinking, oh, this is a guy that's maybe a second rounder. Maybe he could play his way in, you know, with some good workouts. And he didn't get the opportunity to do that. And then he didn't have the big combine. And he didn't run the 40 well. It doesn't mean that he's slow. He's run it better. I think on that on that day, I just think he just didn't have the day that he hoped to have. And then all of a sudden, people would say, "Well, you know, he's not as fast as we thought, and he's, he's you know he doesn't play as long. He's not as big." Well, that's not true. That's not true. He does have good length. He does play big. Uh, and so the durability issue is, I guess, a bit of a question mark. But uh, you know, Cam Dantzler is going to do a good job for somebody. Don't know who it's going to be. Don't know when it's going to be. But he's going to get taken probably second, third round, maybe the fourth. I suspect it'll be no later than the third, but we'll see. And a lot, a lot of juice out there about Willie Gay, too. A lot of discussion about Willie Gay as of late because he's a combine freak. He's one of those guys, no matter what drill you have him do, he's going to be among the leaders, whether it be the broad jump, the 40, whatever. He is a physical specimen, and we didn't get as much out of him as we had hoped to at Mississippi State because you had the uh, you know the suspension, the reduction of eligibility last year due to the Tudorgate stuff. And so – we didn't get the value out of him, we hoped, but I'll tell you what, he was a difference maker when he was on the field. So wish him the best, and those will likely be the first two Bulldogs taken. Again, a lot of chatter about Tyree Phillips, too, having an opportunity to go uh, in these you know earlier mid-round type selections, and I think he's a guy, I really believe that he's a guy that can stay in the league for 10 years if he stays healthy. Really, really uh, good guy, smart guy, and a guy that will really work hard, and I believe he'll do a good job for a team out there. I want to remind you, too, our good friends at Campus Bookmart, longtime sponsors of this show, Stan the Man, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie. I miss seeing them. I hear from them, but I miss seeing them. These are my friends. They've become my friends. They'll be your friends, too, and they'll take care of you. Visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. You can find all the latest in maroon and white fashions and novelty items right there. Use promo code BSR. And that'll save you 50 bucks on all orders over $50. Pardon me, save you $50. Save you shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. BSR, of course, stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And again, that's free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Don't contact me and say, hey, Steve, but you said no. It's free shipping. BSR, campusbookmart.net. They'll take care of you. Uh, let's get into today's top 10 list. It's a little different today. I'm, we're going 90s movies. And a lot of people say, well, Steve, I, I don't really care for Motley Crue. And you know what? This is America. You've got the right to be wrong. And many of you exercise that right frequently. And there are two kinds of people in the world. There are those that love Motley Crue and those that are wrong. So you decide right now. I know which side of the fence I'm on. All right. So uh, 90s movies. My list. My favorites. And here are a few honorable mentions. And there were some great movies in the 90s. I mean, absolutely wonderful movies in the 90s. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I had a little trouble 
with the order. I mean, I made a ton of notes and I moved some movies around. And, uh, and so I can't say that I'm really confident about the back half of this list. But here are some honorable mentions. Reservoir Dogs. That's the first Quentin Tarantino film. It is excellent. If you've never seen it, you should. I love that movie. Reservoir Dogs. Incredible. One of those great heist movies. You'll love it. The Matrix. I enjoyed The Matrix. It was a little bit science fiction for me. It got a little, you know, as, as it went along, you know, in, in the catalog, it got a little deep for me. I thought that first one was incredible, though. Keanu Reeves. One of America's most underappreciated actors. You remember he was in Bill and Ted. Singles, the movie Singles. This is one that, like, if I, if I kind of a hipster pick. You know, Bridget Fonda, Kyra Sedgwick, Matt Dillon, set in Seattle. It's kind of one of those, uh, you know, kind of a Gen X type movie. It was great. Great motion picture soundtrack. Chris Cornell's in the movie. Allison Chains. Perfect. There's a few others that I could go with, but uh, let's go ahead and get into the list here. Number 10 on my list, and again, this is my list. Your list is welcome to be wrong if you want it to be. Number 10 is Friday. I thought Friday was a great movie. I enjoyed the whole franchise. Uh, Craig was great. Of course, that's Ice-T. Ice-Q, pardon me. Uh, and then Chris Tucker. They, they were a great tandem together. I thought the whole Friday franchise was really funny. The, and for those of you that don't know, it's like, you remember a few years ago, and it was so silly when the whole, uh, you know, goodbye Felicia thing, people don't even realize the reference. That's from the Friday movies. Number nine on my list, uh, Casino. Martin Scorsese flick with Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, Sharon Stone's in it. Great movie. Loved it start to finish. Lo I love those old gangster movies anyway. All these organized crime things. I, I, it's fascinating to me. Some of our best American movies are in that vein. In that vein. You know, Goodfellas, all the Godfather movies. I, you know, I don't, I don't know how people couldn't like that stuff. Number eight on my list is Wayne's World. A little bit silly. It's when Bohemian Rhapsody was uh, kind of introduced to a fresh generation of kids. I love Wayne's World when they were on Saturday Night Live. Wayne and Garth, true cultural icons in American history. Love the Wayne's World movies. Wayne's World 2 was not quite as good, but it was good. Wasn't as good as the first one. I could watch the Wayne's World movie probably once a week. Number seven on the list, and, and the twist at the end kind of bothered me for a long time. I didn't quite get it. And then when you go back and watch it the second, third time, you kind of say, okay, now I, I get it. Is Fight Club. I thought Fight Club was a, a tremendous movie. Of course, that's uh, Ed Norton and uh, and Brad Pitt did a great job. And, and I almost put Seven. It's another Brad Pitt movie on here. I almost put Seven on the list. Him and Morgan Freeman. It's a great thriller there and chiller. Number six on the list, probably higher on most people's list than on mine. I have Titanic. Thought it was a great movie. It was an American classic. Thought it was a little bit over the top at times. But I really liked it. I remember my wife and I went to see it. And uh, 
when uh, my oldest was just a little bit of kid and, and we couldn't find anybody to keep him and we wondered if he would make it through and he did and he got to the very end and uh, he might have been just three years old and he said Jack didn't wake up and I thought you know what he watched this entire movie and he got it he's a smart kid number five on my list and I think one of the greatest American movies of all time because the 90s was a great 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 generation of movies Number five for me is Silence of the Lambs. Clarice. Great, great, great movie. Hannibal Lecter. Uh, that, that became kind of a, uh, you know, kind, of, kind of a, I guess, kind of a cult movie in many respects. A lot of people looked at that, and there was some other you know, subsequent uh, you know, sequels that didn't quite live up to it. But Silence of the Lambs was incredible. Uh, I thought the writing in it was just one of those things you look at and you look back and say, how did I not see this coming? The writing was so clever. Number four, an Oliver Stone flick for me. And there are a bunch of those. I could have gone in different directions with Oliver Stone flicks. I love The Doors and many others. But JFK, I am a uh, conspiracy theorist by trade anyway. And I've always been fascinated by the JFK, the plot to kill JFK, and all those things that went with it. And I don't believe Oswald acted long enough. Everybody says the science doesn't match the contention. But I thought that the JFK movie uh, painted some things and offered some alternate theories of the crime that uh, were, were fresh for me at the time. Number three on my list, Shawshank Redemption. Andy Dufresne's, I remember reading that, if I'm not mistaken, that the Shawshank Redemption was in four seasons. One of it's one of those novellas. I'm almost positive that's correct. I think App Pupil and Langoliers and all that was together. But anyway, the Shawshank Redemption, a Stephen King deal, and uh, not the normal Stephen King type writing. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes he has these, you know, odd, evil, you know, metaphysical type things that happen. But but Shawshank was great. Uh, really, really enjoyed the movie. Enjoyed the book. There's so many great one-liners in that. I mean, I, I can watch Shawshank. Just about every time it comes on TV, I'll watch it for a little while anyway. Number two on my list, and again, some people might have this one number one. I could have gone this one number one. I could have. could have made a case for it. It's Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump, an American classic. Tom Hanks was great. So many great subplots in that. And I, I love the life that Forrest Gump lived. You know, he's a military hero. He's a football hero an activist, a businessman. It's an incredible movie. And uh, when several years ago, I'm on my way back home from, uh, I think from Destin, I took me and my oldest son, and we went down to Biola Battery, Alabama. We got our picture made in front of the trimping boats just, just so we could say we did it. Love the Forrest Gump movie. But number one on my list is Tombstone. I know people are like, oh, Steve Hogg. No, no, no. Tombstone. One of the best movies of all time, Tombstone. Loved the movie. Loved Doc Holliday. Uh, you know, it's Val Kilmer ushered in uh, a new day and age of men's facial hair after that movie. A lot of people started wearing the little Zapato, you know, talking about on their chin rather than having the full goatee. It was a different day, you know. But uh, loved it. Loved the Earps, man, I tell you. I thought that movie was so well cast. Everything about it was great. Loved it. And uh, you should too. And anytime it comes on TV, I watch it. That's the top 10 list for today. 
And again, a lot of other movies out there I could have picked, but we didn't. We didn't. So again, send me your ideas for top 10 lists. If I'm wrong, let me know. I'm always open to criticism. I had somebody message me earlier today about Coach Paul Gregory and said, you know, Steve, when you did the 80s movies, how could you leave out Porky's? And he's right. He, he's right. I blew it. I absolutely blew it. Should have had Porky's as one of the funniest movies of that decade for sure. But that's my favorite top 90s movies. No Airhead. No Encino Man. Even though I did like them. All right, so let's get in a couple more things before we get out of here. You should expect... Mississippi State to have a formal announcement on Monday or so about Nikki McRae Pinson's assistant coachings being announced. But we already have that information. Uh, shared it a couple days ago over on Gene's page. Robbie Falk had a story today on it. So let's kind of run it down for you. So basically, she is bringing her staff with her from Old Dominion. And here they are Keith Freeman was the associate head coach for the Monarchs. And, uh, man, Keith has been around the game forever and a day. It's like it's one of those things you wonder about. You know, when you know, when Nikki McCray-Penson put her first staff together at Old Dominion, there was some turnover, you know, right after that first season. And because everything in coaching and recruiting, everything is about relationships. you got to find the people that you can trust. And so Keith comes aboard – uh, I guess the second year there uh, at ODU, there in Norfolk. And, uh, man, what a wealth of experience for Keith Freeman. He is one of those guys that uh, has been around the women's game forever. Prior to going to Old Dominion, uh, he was at Rag State for six years as an assistant coach there, I believe also the associate head coach. But he has also 24 years had coaching experience. He was the women's basketball coach at Valpo for 24 years. He is the all-time winningest coach in Valparaiso women's basketball history. So you've got a guy, you know, really sitting first chair there that uh, has been around the block that uh, can help him many ways. I don't really know what his calling card is. But you've got to figure having someone with that level of experience on your bench who has been a head coach and then has served as an associate head coach and assistant coach at two other stops, then getting a chance to come here, that's a great lieutenant for, for Nikki to have. So, again, big time, big time uh, coach. His, just so you guys know, just to kind of, to, to kind of frame that in for you, Freeman's all-time head coaching record, 415 and 294. Over 700 games as a head coach. That's a lot of experience sitting on your bench. Okay, so Scepter Brownlee doesn't have a wealth of coaching experience on the women's side of things. But there's a great relationship here. Okay, so Scepter Brownlee... Two years at Old Dominion. Before that, he was in the high school ranks. But interestingly enough, before that, and he was also a personal trainer, uh, that sort of stuff. Before that, he was an, a men's basketball assistant coach at Georgia State from 07 to 2011. Before, prior to that, 
06 and 07, he was at Southwest Missouri State, also as an assistant men's basketball coach. He was a GA at the University of Tennessee in 05 and 06 under Bruce Pearl. And that's where Nikki McRae met him. And so Brownlee eventually became the personal trainer for Nikki McRae Pinson when she was a player in the WNBA. So this relationship goes all the way back you know, 05 and 06. And so this is, you know, this is somebody, again, that she's comfortable with, somebody that understands what she wants to get done as a coach, and on somebody that understands physical conditioning. You can never have too many of those folks on your staff. Brittany Young, three years at ODU, came to ODU after two years at Stetson. She was also a GA at South Carolina under uh, Don Staley from 2011 or 2013. Nikki McCray obviously was there uh, then as well. Brenda Young, the recruiting coordinator and assistant basketball coach at Old Dominion. And so, again, it's about relationships. This is somebody that she's known for a long time. So you bring in a guy like Freeman, it's the veteran assistant coach. You bring in Brownlee, somebody that you trust, that knows how you want to get things done. And Brittany Young, it's also got the, uh, you know, the Dawn Staley fingerprints on her career as well. And somebody that she knew from her time in South Carolina. Kind of going back to Ashley Morris is your uh, director of basketball operations. And listen, it's a much it's a step up here. Okay, got a very capable lady in that position. We have had one for some time, but Ashley Morris comes in also to a connection to Don Staley here. She played for Don Staley at Temple from 04 to 08, so she understands the demands. You know that Don Staley places on on her teams. And that's the thing we talk about all the time, and a lot of Mississippi State fans don't want to admit it. Don Staley is kind of the best thing going in the SEC right now, especially with Vic Schaefer leaving going to Texas. And so now you bring in Nikki McCray-Penson, who was one of the first hires on Don Staley's staff in South Carolina. You've got a former player at Temple and Ashley Morris, and then you've got Brittany Young, who was also a GA. And so these ladies have seen how it's done on the big stage. In addition to that, Mary Ann Baker, longtime Mississippi State Director of Basketball Operations, is staying on at Mississippi State. We've talked about that on Gene's page since Easter. Didn't put the name out there until things are finalized. But there was a lot of discussion. People said, well, you know, everybody on Vic staff's leaving. Well, on the, on the actual assistant coaching staff, that was correct. However, Mary Ann Baker sat next to Vic Schaefer on the bench. She is somebody that spent more time with your players than even our coaches did. Handles so much off the court for Mississippi State women's basketball that it's difficult to really kind of put it all together. She is the straw that stirs the drink. She basically did everything the coaching staff needed her to do outside of coach the team. And so she'll kind of stay on in that capacity. And, of course, you know, director of basketball ops will, will answer to her. But it's, it's a collaborative effort. Okay. There's a big adjustment coming in from old year to SEC, and here's the thing about that too. This isn't just an SEC job. This is a premier SEC job that you get right out of the gate with expectations. That's one of the biggest things about it. Nobody is just happy for you to be here. We're happy that you're here, but we're trying to go win a national championship. And so having somebody like Marion Baker that is here, they can kind of handle some of that and kind of ease in the transition, as I've said on this show before, too. There's going to be new language and terminology and things like that that a new staff is going to bring, and then Marianne can say, oh, yeah, listen, 
this is what we used to call this, and this is all this is. And so there will be, you know, there will be some you know, some growing pains as we kind of get up to speed on our new system. But by and large, you know, basketball is basketball. We're not going to go out there and run a box on one, you know, defense and that kind of stuff. We're going to continue to do a lot of things that we've already done. It's one of the reasons you go out and get a coach like this that understands how to play in this league, coach in this league, recruit in this league. So I think we can feel good about what's what's happening here. And I understand initially that Nikki was going to take some time to be sure about things before she extended those offers. But uh, again, we we mentioned it on Gene's page a couple days ago. We've got a story out today. Look for the university to make the information that we're reporting official on Monday. I'm excited that Marian Baker is here. And people say, well, Steve, who is Marian Baker? If you've ever seen a Mississippi State women's basketball game, she is the very tall, long, black-headed lady that uh, is very involved in everything. That's her. Won a national championship at Texas A&M. Has been, was here for eight years with Vic. And just really, you know, listen, found a home here. And that happens a lot of times. You have some people that come in, and they come in as a hired gun, and they're collecting a check, and all of a sudden, you know, they say, you know what, I kind of like it here, I think I'll stay. That happens every once in a while. Had the opportunity to go to Texas and elected to stay here. That's big for Mississippi State. It's big for Nikki McCray-Pinson. big for our players. It's one of those things, having somebody over kind of as a transition person that is there to kind of ease through all of that. You know, when you've got all these strangers out there and you're, you're starting over, you begin to think, okay, well, maybe I'll transfer. And I, I think one of the biggest recruiting jobs that Nikki McCray-Pinson's done is kind of keeping everybody in place. It's weird to have to think about that. You know, I mean, it's like a new coach comes in and immediately you have to get work kind of selling yourself to your players to keep them from getting to the transfer portal and moving on. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, Steve, the Chloe Bibby thing. Listen, Chloe needed a fresh start. She was leaving no matter who what, what happened. Okay? I mean, she was leaving at Vic State. And then, of course, there's you know, we have this segment of insecure Mississippi State fans. Oh, I'm sure the whole team's going to leave and go to Texas. No. 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 Let's take a deep breath, take a breath of reality, and understand that's not going to happen. Mississippi State is a special place. Big Schaefer helped make it a more special place for women's basketball. But now that we're here, it's about staying relevant. Now that we're all emotionally and financially invested in women's basketball, now it's the you know, responsibility of the administration to ensure we go out and get a great hire. I spoke with John Cohen shortly after he hired Nikki McCray-Penson, and he said something that struck with me. He says, he said, now that I know so much about her, I would have hired her 100 out of 100 times. That's pretty high praise. Had a contact in the AAU basketball circles tell me that Nikki McCray-Penson is perhaps the best recruiter in the country for women's basketball. They said she is absolutely relentless, and she will outwork everybody on the recruiting trail. Said she was very instrumental in putting that roster together that won a national championship at South Carolina. She can do the same thing here. She's not starting from scratch here. Not starting from scratch here at all. I know many of you, I get at least once a week, I have somebody message me and say, hey, Steve, where can I order Stark Villains or Flim Flam online? Well, you can do it at StarkVillainsTheBook.com. You can do it from your independent bookstores around the state of Mississippi. You can do it at Bookmart Cafe, Lemuria, Turnrow. You can do it all those places. Uh, but listen, 
if you can't get to those places and it's a little bit difficult for you, you can just make it easy. Go to starkbillingsthebook.com and you can even get personalized copies from there. That's something you can't get uh, from your neighborhood bookstore. And I'm working, you know, on uh, the sequel to Stark Villains. I'm still not quite sure what we call it. I don't know if we call it Stark Villains 2. I don't, I don't know. We'll see. A lot more baseball stories in this one. I've already got about 25% of the book written and turned into editors. And uh, I'm going to spend some time working on it this weekend as well. But I wanted to talk about a couple things with you. I have so much respect you know, for our silver-haired dogs. And I'll tell you, I've, I've gotten to learn so much writing these books about Mississippi State baseball kind of prior to 1985. You know, talking to Bruce Castori about that a while back, as you when I interviewed him for the for the next book, is that you know, you know, a lot of people forget. You know, we were pretty good at baseball. You know, we had already built a program that attracted guys like Will Clark and Rafael Palmero, because they knew that they could come here and be part of a contending national championship type program. And I want to share something with you. you know, I did some uh, some of the backstory. I'm right, just finished up writing a chapter with Ted Milton about the 1971 Mississippi State baseball team that went to Omaha for the first time. You know, it took us a long time to get there. You know, they, they started having the night the uh, the NCAA baseball tournament in 1947. In those days, you went and played in Kalamazoo, Michigan, in the finals. That's what you did. Well, so, they, so we became Mississippi State, what, in 1961? We were Mississippi State A&M College for that. We joined the SEC in 1933, you know, and so it took a little while for us to kind of come of age, but we have always been a baseball school. We won our first Southern Intercollegiate Athletic Association title in 1909. Come back and win it again in 11 and 18. We eventually joined the uh, the Southern Conference, and we had Doc, Doc Patty and, of course, Duty Noble. We won some championships there, and then in nineteen forty, and then in nineteen forty eight, we won our very first SEC championship. We went again in forty nine, and you begin to run these things down. We went in the nineteen hundreds. We went in the nineteen tens. We went in nineteen twenties. We didn't win a conference title in the thirties. We come back and win two SEC titles in the 40s. We took kind of took the 50s off, and we won two in the 1960s. We won three in the 1970s, and we're right back, and we won a couple, three in the 80s. Then we took a little, we took some time to kind of grow with the game. Your recruiting changed a lot. You know, Mike, I give Mike Bianco and um, Dan McDonald a lot of credit. Because I think in many respects in baseball, when it, especially when it came to recruiting, we were, we, were, we were slow to adjust. And you want to see how Ole Miss was able to kind of make a run, you know, because they, they were well behind us as a program uh, in the 80s and 90s. And then Mike Bianco gets there, they got a lot more aggressive, and so they were getting guys like Stephen Head to commit much earlier. And we wanted guys to come to camp. And, and uh, listen, as great as Polk was, in many respects, the recruiting game kind of passed them by. We were doing things the way we'd always done it. And the old Miss came in, and, and Bianco and McDonald said, you know what, we got to do things a little bit differently. we got to get ahead. And so by the time we got around to offering those kids, they were already committed. 
And so you had some Mississippi State kids that went to Ole Miss and beat us. And then things changed. The recruiting game changed. Yeah, I don't know if you guys know this too, but uh, you know, back in 2012, when we made a coaching change, we didn't have a single player committed. Not one. And so at that point, you, you, everybody's kind of picked over. We're kind of taking the leftovers. And so it took a little while to get going. We started playing some really young kids, you know, uh, and we start winning some ball games in 2013, kind of a magical year for us. And then as those guys kind of transitioned out of the program, you know, we, we had to kind of start over. You get to the end of a talent cycle. And uh, that's not usually what we do. You know, we're usually that program that maintains. Like I said, we don't recruit, we reload. Well, because of the fact that we were still kind of recovering from the loss of some recruiting relationships and a new recruiting philosophy, we had some ups and downs. And then look at where we are now. Like when people, people used to ask me, I what you friends used to say. When is Mississippi State baseball going to be back? Well, Mississippi State baseball is back. We've proven that. But it's because of the fact we've always had the facilities, we've always had the commitment from the administration, we've always had the commitment of the fan base, but we had to do some things differently on a recruiting trail. And you look at situations like, uh, you know, Chris Lamontis recently took a commitment from one of the best hitters in the country for the 2024 class. And people laugh and say, Steve, really? Yeah, really. Yes, really. You remember we took Luke Alexander as an eighth grader. And uh, had a great story about him and Stark Villains about the 2018 run, you know, to uh, to Omaha. But he was one of those guys that uh, you know that came in and just did a good job for us. And uh, the, the the 2024 commitment, PJ Morlando, expected to be one of the top hitters in the country, is already committed to Mississippi State. And so when you begin to look at these lists and look at the talent, you know, at Mississippi State, we expect to be in a regional every year. We hope to host every year, even in a transition year. But at the level that we're recruiting right now, you begin to think to yourself, you know, hosting a regional should likely be a foregone conclusion. You know, we, are, we have taken a big step as a program. And there are so many of these former Diamond Dogs that are out there. You know, I spoke to Ted Milton and I you know, spoke to so many, Brantley Jones, many others from the 70s, and Mike Kelly. And they feel a real ownership to what's happening now because they understand, maybe in hindsight, the role that they've played in Mississippi State baseball. You know, if we don't go to Omaha in 71 with Paul Gregory, you know, we may think, you know what, we're just a great team that can't ever get there. You know, we, we just could never seem to get over the hump. Well, then we get there, and, and then Ron Polk shows up in here, right? But because of the fact that we, were, we had proven we could do it, and that made us a more attractive destination for a coach like Ron Polk. Hey, Mississippi State's committed to baseball. We've always had a winning tradition here. We've had some great coaches. We're ready to get to the next level. And Polk comes here and takes us to the next level, and I believe he took us as far as he could take us. You know, you think you just kind of ran out of time. But we don't have Dirty Noble Field. We don't have Ron Polk. We don't have Will Clark or Rafael Palmero. We don't have 
any of that that eventually brings you guys like Pete Young and Jody Hurst and John Cohen and Tommy Raffo and Eric Dubos and Brooks Bryan and all those guys. You know, all of those guys came here based on the program that was built before them. They came as the next stair step in the maturation of the Mississippi State baseball program. And I have a real reverence for those guys. I, I don't believe we just started playing baseball back in the 1980s. I don't believe that. And I have been fascinated with some of the things that I've learned. Did you know, and, and this is in the new book, did you know that Paul Gregory went to Yankee Stadium in 1933 and beat, beat the New York Yankees and struck out Babe Ruth and sat him down with an 0-5 day? Did you know that? I didn't know that. And there's so many of these great stories that I'm unearthing, and so many people have said, you know, Steve, you need to talk to so-and-so and so-and-so. And, and, and I feel this, uh, you know, this hunger for knowledge because these people are passing away year after year after year. We can't count on them to be here. And so I say all that to say this, is I, I miss college baseball. I really do. I miss being able to go to Duty Noble Field. But the next time that I do, I won't just go back there with that same appreciation. So, you know what? I'm so glad I'm here. And one of the things that I always do when, you know, back when I used to park on the other side, and I, there were some days that I would, I'd walk out of Duty Noble Field and I'd even say a little prayer. And I'd always say, you know what? If I ever seem ungrateful, I'm not. So grateful to be able to cover this great baseball program. And I think it's a real appreciation, too, to remember those Maroon Ghosts, to remember those players that have come before the ones that we cheer from, the ones that we've got pictures with, the baseball cards that we have, to understand that this has always been a baseball school. And uh, my hope is, because we do a great job honoring our past here at Mississippi State. We're focused on the future. But uh, my hope is, is that many of those players you know, from the 50s and 60s and 70s uh, don't get lost in the mix. And I told somebody I'd put together a pitching rotation this show, but I didn't do it. I'll do it on Monday. But uh, when I think about what we have gone through as a program, I've got a new appreciation for where we are and where we're headed. And the expectation of Mississippi State to win and win big. And I believe Chris Lamont is going to do that. I hope that you guys do too. Be back on Monday. Looking forward to it. Let's enjoy the draft. We'll kind of recap uh, where everybody went, what to expect. You never know what's going to happen over the weekend. Hope you and the family are all well. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends and enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.